For July 6th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 627. Sex Panther Matthew Crawley's Dacha. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From whatever, uh, wherever we come from, we join together on a weekly basis to have the Overthinking It ideas contest. That's right. And that's, uh, that's, we're, we're like a, uh, we're like a kind of, uh, uh, multi-state uh, you know, contest locked in competition over the single idea that will reign supreme in the, uh, in the overthinking it, um, universe. And uh, if you listen back, you may not know this, but if you listen back carefully to the entire podcast ca- catalog, there is only one idea in every uh, episode. <laughs> well, uh, we talked uh, we talked a little bit about uh, uh, Independence Day last week in light of uh, in light of the 4th of July, and it was uh, wonderful to revisit um, to revisit uh, a, a time when American leadership uh, was highly regarded in the world, or at least we were free to think uh, that it was at the time. But now that we have come uh, to the 4th of July and celebrated it, uh, the, you know, the, the, at, on this day when we celebrate our, our independence, um, on this day when we celebrate the establishment of an enlightenment liberal democracy, uh, here on this continent, I'm led to one inexorable conclusion, and that is, uh, all countries matter. And so let's talk about some other countries <laughs> other than, other than the United States. In fact, let's talk about a European Union. Not the European Union, no, because we're not globalist cucks. But uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about a European Broadcasting Union, the uh, the network of countries that share common television programming, and every year produce and broadcast something called the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm Matt Rather, and I am joined here by a, uh, a lineup of countries. It's B, it's not Belarus, that's Belinky, Matt Belinky, the world's foremost expert on Eurovision. Welcome to the podcast. That is a true statement that you just said. <laughs> not, not, not the foremost expert part the part about me being welcome on the podcast oh thank you i appreciate that going to f it's not finland it's fenzel pete fenzel hey pete how are you uh it's good i'm i though i'm not finland i'm also not indo-european quick uh, paradoxically so uh maybe i am a little bit maybe i'm fibbing a little bit on that but it's good to see you um, it's, it's rock fibbing. and roll hallelujah to you yeah fibbing finish fenzel <laughs> to uh yeah. to make to you know round out the thing and uh, to round out the the team it's not latvia it's lee mark lee hello mark how are you I'm doing great, and I can definitely point to Latvia on a map, as can all Americans, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. The um, so uh, turns out Will Ferrell has made a, a movie that uh, 
has that is about i don't know that takes place at i don't know that uh has something to do with the eurovision song contest and so we uh in in this uh year when the contest itself has been canceled due to the pandemic and uh in a year when we sort of aren't covering it again as we sometimes do with youtube videos on our youtube channel we thought uh well let's let's do eurovision by doing this will ferrell movie um so let's uh, let's dive in. Belinky, can you start us off by just telling us a little bit about the Eurovision Song Contest um, and what uh, what brought you to it initially? So the Eurovision Song Contest has been going on since the 1950s. It was basically sort of proposed as an alternative to World War Three. Uh, a way for the, the the nations of Europe to sort of uh, get their their need for friendly competition out of the way without uh, tanks or nuclear weapons, and instead uh, the power of song, and so that every nation has to bring forward a a singer, a band, some sort of amalgamation of up to six people to perform an original song. So that's what makes this interesting compared to let's say like The Voice, right? Where like everybody is doing like some sort of uh, uh, showboat arrangement of Proud Mary. You know, this is like, it's not only a singing competition, it's a songwriting competition. Although, to be frank, like, the the rules uh, don't require the songs be written by anybody in that country. And in fact, most of the songs come from Sweden, which is just where good pop music has come from ever since the days of ABBA, who, by the way, uh, were the most successful alumni of Eurovision. Their uh, their breakthrough hit Waterloo uh, won the contest in the mid-70s. Um, you basically like the, the list of like big pop music uh, to come out of Eurovision kind of begins and ends with ABBA. They're really uh, Katrina and the Waves did win Eurovision once, but like not with Walking on Sunshine. It was sort of like you know Katrina's second act. Um, so yeah, that's that's Eurovision. Um, and I got into it, I feel like it was like back in college that, and this is obviously, this is one of those things where YouTube has made it possible for the rest of the world to enjoy something that used to be like you had to actually see it on your local TV network. Sort of the way like Premier League football is now available to be watched by like people all over the world. Um, also like, you know, Slovakian pop music is uh, is, is available uh, to be enjoyed uh, whenever, wherever you want. Um, and so that, yeah, like a lot of this has been uh, sort of shared online, sometimes in the spirit of irony, because a lot of this stuff, like the, the Azerbaijani pop music of like the 90s is is a thing to behold. But um, some of these Eurovision songs are legit pop music that could, that can and do uh, chart on like Billboard music charts, I am I'm a hundred percent positive that the uh, that the Israeli song that won a couple years ago, um, which name eludes me, which is why Toy. you know the it was toy song. Toy? yeah Toy. I literally heard that at the dentist office while I was waiting because they were I don't know why they were they were streaming some sort of um some sort of a uh, um, Spotify sort of dance music mix, but like it was on there. So like, you know, the, the, this stuff, this stuff is real pop music. It's not this sort of niche thing that you would only ever hear in Eurovision. Matt, I have to correct one thing that you said, which is, is it about uh, the 
The dentist? No, it is about your dentist office. No, there is one other very famous person who got started by winning the Eurovision Song Contest, at least indirectly. She didn't quite get started uh, exactly. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You know who it is. You're the foremost this, expert. This is a good correction. Well, I mean, it's interesting that, like, I, it, it is a, you referred to Celine Dion. Yes. Who is, in fact, Canadian, but did perform, was it, what country? It was a, it was a sort Swiss, of a Switzerland. French, she right. performed for Switzerland. She in French, in French um, which just goes to show that, like, like I said, that like there are no rules about like theoretically you could just like, you know, uh, if uh, Poland had the money, Poland could get like Bon Jovi to go to Eurovision and just perform a new Bon Jovi song on behalf of Poland. Um, there are no residency requirements or anything. It's not like the Olympics where you have to get like citizenship. You have, you know, you have, to, you know, if you want to be like a, a gentleman uh, ski jumper who like competes in the Olympics just to sort of like add it to your obituary, uh, you don't even have to jump through those hoops. You basically just convince the Polish broadcasting system. Well, there, there are two ways that this is done, um, that, that either the uh, the country's entry is appointed by fiat, by the broadcasting system, that they just basically select somebody internally, or they have a televised selection show, because um, why not? That if Eurovision is like a big thing in your country, um, why not basically get a second TV show out of it where you have this whole sort of like uh, round-robin tournament to decide who gets to go to Eurovision with public vote the most famous of these uh, is uh, Sweden's, of course, is uh, Melody Vision, I think is, is I'm probably butchering it. It's probably pronounced much more melodically what? in Swedish. Sweden is called Melody Festivalen. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that does sound, that does sound better. Um, and it's, it's, you know, one of those things where like everybody, all, all 20 acts that compete in that could easily win Eurovision at any given year. And one other correction, Matt, before we uh, launch into the, the main discussion of the of the movie at hand, uh, which is very relevant to that discussion. Uh, you said that, uh, you know, this is before the Internet. And you had to, like, watch it on on television, which is a thing you could not do in the United States for Eurovision uh, up until fairly recently. Um, and which led to uh, which has contributed to Eurovision being almost entirely unknown in the United States. I mean, we're taking the time to explain uh, Eurovision, even for the Overthinking podcast audience, uh, even though Overthinking it has done a lot of Eurovision coverage, because uh, we cannot assume that everybody who's listening to this is like intimately familiar with Eurovision and for the the setup to this. And so that yeah. like then that lazy to think like, well, okay, Will Ferrell, an American comedian, is making this um, movie about Eurovision. Who the heck is this for? Is this for Europeans who already love Eurovision? Is it for Americans who do not know about Eurovision? And Will Ferrell's like doing his part to evangelize. Um, I mean, I I'm asking this question. It's, it's very unclear, so I'm asking this question and seeing where the discussion takes us. I mean, I think the most direct answer there is that this is for his wife, who I believe is Swedish and grew up right. loving Eurovision, and that's how he got to know this thing. And I think he actually attended Eurovision maybe like four or five years ago, um, and presumably like got to got to go into the green room and like meet everybody, um, which is interesting because it suggests that like he is coming at it not from the position of like, oh, this is low-hanging fruit for mockery. Like, this is going to be like shooting fish in a barrel. But like as a real Eurovision devotee. And like, you know, he wants to to um, spread the love. And and, and uh, um, it's, I don't know, it's if interesting. Were, the tone you, is, 
hard to hard to nail down here. Yeah, if you, if he were con- concerned about his own domestic happiness, domestic tranquility, he would do that. But he is, after all, Will Ferrell, and uh, so he brings this. Like I uh, and Matt, I have one uh, final correction to make, um, which is about your dentist's office. You did not, in fact, hear Netta's toy uh, in your dentist's office because it is the law that dentists in the United States have to play yacht rock. That's the only thing. Um, that's the only kind of like, uh, you know, uh, happy but moderately tranquil, you know, sort of thing that uh, that they can listen to. So, hey, this film has um, film has uh, uh, Will Ferrell in it. It has uh, Canadian Rachel McAdams in it as someone who we assume is his sister, but is actually his love interest. Um, it has Pierce Brosnan in it playing his father, uh, who does not like any of this uh, swishy Eurovision stuff that his son is doing, which is frivolous. And also, you get the sense, kind of gay. Right. And that's uh, the basis of it. And it has uh, also Dan Stevens in it, who you may remember from Legion. Uh, And also he was on (laughs) a television show called Downton Abbey. And that leads me to wonder, does this film have a Downton Abbey moment? Does it have a, a tiny moment between the characters seemingly unrelated to the themes of the main film, but that when understood properly just cracks open the whole meaning of the film like an egg uh, as though it were a marble statue and, and you wanted to burrow <laughs> deep inside it. Uh, or vice versa. Pete, is there a Downton Abbey moment in Eurovision Song Contest has the story of fire saga i think there is and uh and here's what i think it is i think and you've already touched on it a little bit the downton abbey moment is delivered by our downton abbey cast member when he we are visiting his mansion right that is full of statuary is it is it a party at his house or is it a house that he owns yes some of the locations one of, one yeah. of his houses Yes. It's one of those movies that plays a little fast and loose with what buildings are in what city. It's like, oh, yeah, everybody just has a house. in. Are they in Edinburgh, Scotland for yeah, the movie? Is that the idea? Yeah. We're supposed to believe that Scotland won the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, I suppose that's Which is weird because elsewhere in the movie they talk about how England never wins. I can only assume that Edinburgh gave them huge tax breaks to shoot there because yeah. otherwise there's no plot reason why it would be there. And by the way, this is not a dig at Scotland being bad at music. This is a dig at Eurovision voting being biased against uh, countries that are in Western Europe, right? Because there are so many more countries in Eastern and Northern Europe, and you get one, you get points to allocate by country and can't vote for yourself. So generally, the UK outside of Ireland doesn't tend to do too great. In fact, wherever, but, wherever, whoever says that Scotland is not excellent at pop music, I, I would, I would cover a a, a, a large distance on foot. <laughs> to 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 disabuse you of that notion so anyway we're in matthew crawley's dacha right we're in like (laughs) sex Sex panther matthew crawley's dacha and he's they're talking about how much he loves statuary uh and and it's like oh yeah these statues and they say oh the statues are thousands of years old right and then and then uh i think it's rachel mcadams who says to him yeah but they all have your face on it (laughs) on them right 
Uh, and they look, and the, the joke is that the marble statue has Matthew Crawley's from Downton Abbey's face on it, which looks just like the actor in the movie. Uh, <laughs> but I felt like that juxtaposition felt like the main joke or the main idea concerning Eurovision that was being explored, which was a perceived tension between Europe as this sort of high culture, old timey, old fashioned set in its ways place and a Eurovision being kind of bombastic and I guess more individualistic. That that was one of the things that's interesting about this movie, which was that being a singer in Eurovision was put forward as an individualistic pursuit. Right. When you are kind of in doing so foregoing independent music making in order to represent your country. So so there's a tension between, I think, what the perception of what Eurovision is, as we would claim it is, as, as sort of Eurovision enthusiasts for years who've held these annual Eurovision parties and whatnot, and what the movie seems to to react to it as. And I think the notion is that there's an inherent absurdity to Eurovision that is the contrast between Will Ferrell's character who is you know wearing you know these sort of retro uh, 80s and nine and early 90s European techno outfits uh, and, uh, and maybe even to the aughts outfits, but has Will Ferrell's face on it, right? So it's sort of like I'm taking this thing and I'm putting my own face on it. I'm taking this subject matter and making another Blades of Glory ripoff from it, right? Like semi, not just a ripoff. You can't, it's not ripoff. It's like a riff, right? A variation, variation on a theme. He's made a bunch of these kind of cutting edge style sports movies that are parodies, uh, that feel kind of similar to each other, but I still enjoy watching them, even when it's like, yeah, it's not going to win the Academy Award. We all know that's going to Sonic the Hedgehog. But uh, but it's... Um, no, Dodge, it's, Dodgeball was uh, Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah did, uh, um, uh, Blades of Glory, uh, Semi-Pro. Talladega um, Nights. The yeah, Talladega Nights being the sort of like before it's become really uh, repetitive. But... But the or formulaic, I should say, not repetitive. Um, but yeah, but but the notion like there are lots of shots of Will Ferrell's character who looks absurd standing in front of some grand European monument. And there's even that scene where the American tourists are like, is that was this in Game of Thrones? Right. Uh, and was this big fountain in Game of Thrones? Wow. And there's this juxtaposition of the grand, you know, tradition and austerity and or not austerity, but. Um, it looks austere. It looks it looks weighty and, and impressive and reserved. Um, and uh, and and there's this absurdity of like bombast and tourism and music and individuality that goes in front of it. And this is supposed to be funny. Um, and and I think I liked watching this movie. It felt such like such a relief to watch a new movie with low stakes. Uh, I was I was just so thrilled that I got to sit down and watch this new movie. I haven't watched any of the other new stuff that's come out for the most part. Um, and it just felt so normal. You haven't, you haven't watched extraction with, uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> I haven't gotten around to to five bloods yet. I intend to, has, uh, has on this podcast watched 365 days yet. Yes. No. <laughs> Who said yes? <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to see what the number one film in the, in the world was like. 
it's, well, we know. We know what it's like now. <laughs> I do. I, I know what it's like. And you know what? Uh, say what you will about the failings of, uh, of the Ballad of Fire Saga as a parody of Eurovision or a loving tribute to Eurovision as a film, as a work of visual storytelling con- concerning the dramatic actions of a group of interesting characters. Say what you will about it. It is superior to 365 days. <laughs> is that like nine and a half weeks, but longer? What is, <laughs> is it 500 days of summer? It doesn't, it doesn't, order even, and take, it doesn't even take the whole 365 days. Anyway, sorry. No. In, in the Eurovision movie, the only Stockholm Syndrome comes from the Swedish delegation to Eurovision. <laughs> But but like there's this whole thing right about like don't sing from your head sing from your heart and then it's like oh but the head was supposed to be the symbol of individuality what does the heart mean what what is the symbolic vocabulary of this movie what's going on I don't understand what is um, the, yeah what is the symbolic is, vocabulary of this movie that's you know that, this is yeah uh, it's interesting P I, I hadn't thought of this this sort of um, individualism versus nationalism angle because if this was an Olympic let, let's talk about Cool Runnings for a second which is sure. can we agree that Cool Runnings is uh, all time classic right absolutely 100% Cool Runnings is about a bunch of people who want to who wanted to be like you know the best sprinters in the world um, and they you know don't make the Olympic team for sprinting and they become bobsled team but by the end they're very you know they're very proud to represent Jamaica and like you know wear the Jamaican colors and stand up there and just like you know know like march under their country's flag and it becomes very much about sort of like being a representative of your nation and that's not in the eurovision movie at all that they're just there because like they want to be and will ferrell wants to personally compete in eurovision and it just so happens that he is from iceland but but that's he's not there for the glory of iceland which I think is I think it's interesting because I, if you watch the actual Eurovision, there's a lot of national pride and there's a lot of people who seem to be there, uh, you know, representing like everybody back home. And there's a lot of feeling like, you know, these people are, are, are you know, really connected to the places that they're from. Yeah. So, so a couple of things on this one. Uh, it just like kind of tries to back into it at the very last minute with the Husavik song. Uh, that they perform at the end instead of the song that presumably they wrote and rehearsed painstakingly for the many, many months leading up to the Eurovision Song Contrast, which is something I might talk about later about how this movie uh, does terrible injustice to the creative process. Uh, that is one of the great things about Eurovision. Anyway, so it's there, right? They sing in Icelandic at the end, and you see the cut back to the bar in their small hometown in Iceland. Oh, that's and they're true. like, oh, this is so great. A little great. moment where she yeah, yeah, but it, it, again, like I said, it is slid in there at the end almost as an afterthought, and you're expected to really emotionally respond to it because the song itself is beautiful. By the way, the music in this movie is completely spot on, um, uh, unlike the rest of the movie. So, but on this point of, of nationalism and Eurovision and representing your country, um, this really gets uh, points to one of the main problems of this movie is that like it just does not fully, even though it was like really hardcore, uh, um, like officially licensed and endorsed by the Eurovision Song Contest, it really fails to capture a key that key nationalistic part of the Eurovision experience which is like the international politics uh of the whole thing and how like the russians are the bad guys and with the aforementioned uh international block voting and how um you know like uh like the old tensions of the old world 
uh, spill over, you know, even though, okay, it's fine. It's better than world war three, but, uh, it, it still has all this like underlying tension and like, you know, like the, uh, the Ukrainian singing about the, the, the massacres of Stalin and the Armenian singing about the Armenian genocide. Like there's that subplot of the, of the, of the song competition every year. And because this was an official Eurovision, uh, production, uh, and they really, really don't want people to think about that when it comes to Eurovision, none of that at all is represented in this movie. Um, and so that to me was like a really good way to think about how this movie really like does not do service to the whole experience uh, and specifically hamstrung by the fact that it is like hardcore licensed and, and sanctioned by the, uh, by the yeah. actual producers. Are you, are you talking about no. Mark, like, uh, like how um, Armenia submitted a, a, uh, a song called face the silence to Eurovision and the yeah. big question on everybody's lips was face what silence the silence about what and they were like I don't know just you know silence generally <laughs> <laughs> the sign, you know, all these, these black and white pictures of, uh, of people in our music video yeah, that are disappearing and, you know, from, you know yeah. that are like you know that were are suddenly there and then kind of poof magically not gone and uh, all these are Armenians being just sort of, you know, disappeared like uh, it doesn't have any symbolic content at all. <laughs> it, it has no significance outside of itself. You know, that, that might be a good segue to talk about the big sing-along in the middle. What are they calling it in the movie? It's not a, not a sing-off. A song what, around or something? A song around? A song, and I was song along. Not sing along, song along. For reasons that are, that, for reasons, yeah. And I, I, I immediately wanted it to be like the walk-off from Zoolander, or at least a similar <laughs> tone. But it was, I, first of all, like, it seemed like they spent about half the budget of the movie on this one scene. Like, this is the big showpiece of the movie and features many real Eurovision stars, past and present, uh, that show up to sing like four bars each. Um, and it's lavishly, and the reason I bring it up now is because, you know, these are theoretically competitors, but they're portrayed as like one big happy family, almost like it's summer camp. And like once a year, all these sort of like lovable misfits from all over Europe sort of get together and get to be fabulous in a, in a, in the, the, the sex mansion, the Downton Abbey sex mansion, um, and I, I don't know what to make of this scene. It felt like I, I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be funny or not. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I mean, a lot I was of, bothered. It, it really, yeah. that's, that's a question you could ask about a lot of the work of Will Ferrell. I mean, that's not fair. Will Ferrell's great. I mean, you know, name somebody else who's made the higher percentage with that level of volume, right? Like, it's... <laughs> I mean, but it's, I mean, he's not... He's not wrong. I mean, but it's, yeah. a lot of the funniest moments of this movie are very clearly improvised, are very clearly just sort of like taking a script that was probably just sort of like a, a very loose clothesline that sort of gets you from point A to point B. And just like Will Ferrell just sort of riffing on things. And there were some like cute little moments, right, that came out of that. But it's there's not it's 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 um, thin soil to sort of try to grow a right. comedy out of. Right. So that scene. Okay. So first of all, I was very disappointed when that scene became a medley because I really thought we were just going to get a full on over the top. Do you believe in life after love by Cher? And I know, of course, we all know that song because as The Onion reported, it's it played literally everywhere when scientists deep in the core of the earth discovered that it was playing there. Uh, it was we found to be playing everywhere on the earth simultaneously uh, all the time. So uh, when it but was popular. 
European, though. What's up? That's, it's not a European song, is it? Unless Cher is secretly European, which I, I would totally believe. Well, see, okay. So, okay. Now, this you, you bring up something really interesting, um, which is that Cher is not European, but Cher feels Eurovision, right? Like, she, her aesthetic. What? Yeah. And the, and the aesthetic of the people who were singing was also... It's very informed by, you know, drag culture and kind of drag derivative culture and kind of drag preceding diva culture, right? The sort of uh, the what Midler to Gaga continuum, right? Of like, like, you know, there's there's drag. I guess I guess Midler probably bases a lot of it off of drag, but uh, as well. But but it's like um, because there are multiple there's multiple gender bending acts in the in the moment. Um, Eurovision's Europeanness and Eurovision's fabulosity are not in conflict with each other. That that is the thing that the movie doesn't really seem to get, either about Eurovision or about Europe. Yes. Europe is fabulous, right? Like uh, it, you just stop and think about it. It's the place where all the dudes wear the tight pants, even years ago, right? Like it's it's the place that has like all of these like many many different languages that they preserve for for no particular utility reason other than just kind of wanting to express yourself, right? Like like it's a short train ride to go from northern Italy to southern France to Switzerland into Germany or whatever, and yet they're still speaking four or five different languages. Uh, right like uh often with great you know like you know these this real pride in their literary tradition and passion and and all this other stuff it's like we think of it as so stodgy because of the relationship between you know american uh what what european colonial authorities in historical america right? or whatever reason like uh you know sexual liberation or whatever it is is it you know we think of us as the son of a Rough ones because we're comparing ourselves to the British. But if like America had declared independence from Italy, we would not be the wacky ones, right? Like we would not be the ones who are like, you know, passionate and all this other stuff. And and that's of course that's all stereotype. But I mean, even just the experience of like going to Europe, I, I don't have this sense of it being this sort of sterile, austere sort of place in any of the places in it that I've gone. Um, it's, the, it's the last hope of liberal democracy in in the you know Western world. I, for one, but also, you know, I, it, it is interesting. I, it is interesting that, yeah, we sort of think of Europe as being British and they're very, I mean, they're very different things. I mean, some, someone made the joke that Britain likes to pretend that it's an island in the middle of the Atlantic rather than, you know, 50 miles off the coast of uh, France. But the, uh, you know the the sort of austerity um the by which i mean the kind of like the stiff upper lipness the lack of of demonstrativeness you know your idea of your sort of the high school history class idea of history and of like marble columns or you know whatever uh big statues big statue energy uh which this film has uh the um like that that is not uh that that is not what europe is today what modern what modern europe is today and it's it is interesting to think of you know what is europe and uh one answer is that europa was a phoenician princess who was abducted by zeus in the form of a bull um that's uh you know at least <laughs> one way to one way to think about it but like what is like what is what is europe and what is sort of europeanness i mean the the i'm not even sure the europeans could give you a good answer i understand that this is sort of hotly debate, debated in <laughs> in brexit and in other arenas as as well but it 
it is. I mean, it is an interesting. It's an interesting thing because it's a a uh, a film that doesn't really that sees this kind of surface level of this uh, Europeanness finds in it a good topic for you know farce for kind of of ridicule almost, but a but a, a ridicule without any teeth, you know, and that's. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh the uh, the fact that every european in this film is uh either mendacious or else kind of a clown uh whether it's you know the contestants themselves and their sort of very extreme uh styles the hosts of the um the uh the hosts of a uh, the Eurovision Song Contest, who are a, you know, a kind of an Eastern European uh, stereotype and a, what, also a uh, misogynist stereotype, a, a ditzy, you know, airheaded um, girl who can only say, like, okay. Uh, and uh, to the, like, the the financial minister of of Iceland, right? So this, the, who is, you know, sabotage, who commits... Mass murder. <laughs> Kill Demi Lovato. <laughs> you know, um, it's super weird. This is not only an officially licensed Eurovision movie, but like a, almost an over licensed Eurovision. The name of this movie is Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> Poland story of fire. You know, and 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 not only that, but like when the title appears in uh in the art for the movie, it's the official logo of the year. Almost to the point where like I think people are gonna get confused because they might want to watch the Eurovision Song Contest and they will search for it on Netflix and accidentally watch this, thinking that they're watching the real Eurovision Song Contest. So the Eurovision Song this would be like if Top Gun were called like the United States Navy, colon, like the adventures of Maverick. Or, <laughs> You know, something like, or 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 cool runnings were called, like you know, the Winter Olympics, cool runnings. Um, and, and so here we go. So this is obviously Eurovision really, really wants to be closely associated with this movie. This is a movie where, and Iceland is not like a super poor country, right? Iceland is like a pretty, you know, is, is a real like tourist mecca. And and this is a country where like a, a minister of tourism is willing to commit mass murder to pull like a producers type scenario to purposely tank Eurovision so that they don't have to have the the unbelievable crushing burden of hosting it. It just <laughs> it feels weird that like this is the message that Eurovision wants to spread to introduce the world to itself. Yeah, like it feels so warmed over, like it feels like so many of the sharp edges of this movie have been ground down through reviews, especially including the segment in the middle where it's like, look at all the Eurovision stars and look how diverse they are. And look at like these are, of course, it's like, of course, the most diverse population in the movie are the people singing in the middle of the movie in that one scene. Uh, And it's like, look, this is the sort of utopia that is Eurovision. Uh, and it sticks out and it doesn't make sense relative to the rest of the movie, but you feel like they sort of forced it to be in there. They even have like the actual Eurovision stage, right? Uh, all set up. And yet it's also a movie about, you know, the Eurovision, yeah, the Eurovision bureaucracy killing Demi Lovato in a fiery boat accident. Um, so I guess. And I think more, more interestingly, do you get the impression from watching this movie that Eurovision is a popular thing in Europe? I, I would say no. It's like weird. They don't even know where it is, 
right? Like, well, I guess those, every, are, yeah. those are for Americans who are the actual yeah. heroes of the piece, mm-hmm. I think, you know, with their uh, driving, their, you know, action movie driving ability and their, um, you know, the, their travel to improve themselves and go see <laughs> some, some culture. It's really America who saves it. In fact, you could say that Americans save the Eurovision Song Contest in this film. Right. And are the Americans played by Europeans? That I would appreciate. That's what it seemed like. I don't know if they were fake. Um, but maybe this, that's just one of the many things that I was sort of dreaming would make this movie more interesting than it was. Um, such as uh, uh, Matthew Crawley's character being an elf who wants to uh, disguise himself as a human in order to give Rachel McAdams' character the baby that she wished for in her elf prayers. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm like Google, I'm like IMDBing the Americans now. Um, but again, the, if, the elves are there primarily to commit murder. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, you know uh yeah d- now admittedly it is the icelandic uh finance minister who gets stabbed in the back by an elf and he killed a lot of people so you know by by elf justice that actually counts as uh as you know totally legit but, but while we're talking about americans and their relationship to europe and, and eurovision let me just give my alternate pitch for this movie which i feel like would have at least been a lot clearer and maybe more, more satisfying to an american audience uh, which is that rather than have the movie center around this Icelandic couple, like just lean into the Americanness of it and the Will Ferrellness of it. it. Was like so have him be an American singer who's down on his luck and recruited by a small Eastern European country. Uh, maybe okay, fine. He's got a long lost Latvian uncle, um, and yes, he can. He can. No, he definitely cannot spot Latvia on a map. And then he gets to be this fish out of water audience surrogate who learns about Eurovision and teaches the audience uh, about it uh, in, in a much more efficient way than this movie uh, actually went about it. And so this way you get to have your cake and eat it too, which is that like the first half of the movie, um, the American, as he's learning about Eurovision, ridicules it. And you have a lot of fun at the expense of Eurovision. Um, but by the end, he comes around to it and uh, appreciates it for the value that it is. I don't know. That's That's like, that would have been a better movie for me uh, but this really puzzling, as we've been talking about here, like which master is this movie serving? Hmm. Huh. Yeah, Matt, you had some ideas about how to how to improve the film. I mean, I think they involved Yaya Ding Dong, right? I I mean, well, let me ask you guys another we question. Probably, we should actually probably gloss a few of these things because I'm not sure it's fair to to uh, even though it is yeah. the only new movie in current release in any. <laughs> In any format, uh, because you know, gosh, these uh, these uh, distributors and producers really threw away their shot, huh? No kidding. We'll do Hamilton later. Um, the uh, you know, I'm not I'm not sure it's fair to assume that everyone has seen the the latest Will Ferrell joint. So the uh, when uh, Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams are in Iceland in their hometown, they are part of a bar band, and the bar band is constantly heckled to sing a popular sort of what folk song pop song it's it's like uh wanting to hear sweet caroline in a bar or something i think one of you guys compared it to that where like uh uh play sweet caroline and the song is called ya ya ding dong and it has a call and response kind of akin to sweet caroline da, da, da. thank you <laughs> so good so good so good sorry Three, 
<laughs> um, that uh, you know that they that they sing this and and uh, it is one of the more I don't know I actually I mean we've been kind of like explaining that this film doesn't really hang together thematically or dramatically and is maybe not a a great exposition of what is unique about the Eurovision Song Contest or what people like about it but some of the song at least in in its storytelling but some of the songs some of the song parodies are really good and a lot of them are are references to specific um specific uh eurovision songs even down to the level of will ferrell going off onto a boat into the harbor uh or uh, boating you know steaming (laughs) what dieseling out of the harbor uh with pierce brosnan looks like the music video for i'm alive which was iceland's uh, entry you know a handful of handful of years ago there are a lot of references to it if you know what you're looking for and real eurovision performers who show up in this so like uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe we can talk. Uh, maybe we can not bury it, but praise it a little bit. Uh, and and I think the place to start is with you know Yaya Ding Dong. Um, Matt, can you explain uh, why why you think Yaya Ding Dong is the key to uh, cracking this nut wide open? Well, okay. So th- there are a bunch of songs in this movie, and they're all sort of exemplars of, of different styles of Eurovision song, right? So there, there's the uh, the the Volcano Man song. That's sort of like at the beginning, right, where they, where they sort of have an imagined music video. And that is it, it's I, I was going to say, like, you know, not only very Eurovision, but very Iceland, because it's got this sort of sleek modernness, sort of like, you know, ethereal feel to it where, you know, everything is like, you know, shades of gray. Um and so, you know, that's that's a Eurovision style. Then there's the Yaya Ding Dong song. And that's sort of like a silly, a little bit retro. Right. Because I think nowadays the the sort of quirky edges have been sort of smoothed off of Eurovision over the years. And you don't get too many of these like, you know, weird folksy songs anymore. But there used to be these songs, including like a, a songs written in completely made up languages that this is this has been known to happen, you know, not just once, but numerous times that like people will send songs in gibberish to Eurovision uh, that are like very popular because they're so silly. Um and then um, there's the song that they actually, the sort of double trouble song that they actually uh, go with. And then the song at the end, uh, the sort of unofficial song that they do to get disqualified, um, that's the sort of soaring uh, pop ballad, right, for like a female singer, which is like one of the one of the main ways you win Eurovision is just by sending like an amazing female singer who just like sings a bunch of like incredible high notes. Um, and everyone just sort of bows down before her. Um, and it's... I think what I find interesting about it is that like the songs that they that they're going with at the beginning are sort of held up as like these songs are not good and this band is not good. Fire Saga is not a good band. Everybody knows it. The idea that they would be going to Vision Eurovision is laughable because you can see from these songs that they are not a good band. But somehow the song at the end is even by Graham Norton, and Graham Norton hates everything, right? Graham Norton is um, he's British and and can only uh, can only express like various sort of shades of disdain for Eurovision and even he is like sort of has to tip his cap to the uh, to the song that Rachel McAdams uh, lip syncs at the end <laughs> to the Swedish singing double and 
I think it's interesting because, like, what is this? What is this saying that, like, was Firestar a good band all along? Was the secret that, like, Rachel McAdams was was a good singer songwriter all along, but she just sort of never let anyone know because she was too busy just sort of like doing whatever Will Ferrell told her to do. Um, and she's the real star, and the Will Ferrell had to realize that. Or was it like, you know, the Fire Saga, you know, they, they, they weren't good until they acknowledged their love and the power of love sort of like brings their music to life in a way that it's never been brought to life before. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I think the reason you mentioned Yali Day Dog is it felt like maybe that was going to be a key to sort of how they win is sort of realizing because they, they even like they really um, hang a like like a, a big flashing neon sign on it at the beginning where Will Ferrell's annoyed that they keep asking him to play Yaya Ding Dog. And Rachel May Adams is like, that song is important. He loves Yaya Ding Dog. It's what he lives for. <laughs> you know, like, like, like comes out and says that, like, you know, these dumb songs are important to like, you know, the, the common folks that live simple lives. And it almost made me feel like maybe, although like I, I wasn't quite sure, like, well, they can't switch the song in the middle of your even though that's exactly what they did at the cost of getting disqualified. But it's just like if they could, it felt like what Will Ferrell had to realize is instead of these like trying to ape Abba, he had to, and, or trying not to get people to laugh at him. He had to sort of embrace that doing something silly and getting people to laugh is a noble pursuit. It is what Eurovision is all about or or can be what Eurovision is all about. And instead of, like, trying to be cool, just sort of, like, lean into the yaya ding-dongness of it all. Uh, but that's not what happens. But that is that is yet yeah. another version of the movie that would have been more interesting. Because when he says in that big speech near the end, the winning song isn't the perfect song. I, I really thought it was, like, the winning song is yaya ding-dong. The ring is, like, did you write it? Is it original? Or is it, like, a, like if they had written that song themselves? I feel like if he'd audibled into yaya ding-dong, it would have been a huge hit, right? That was sort of the point. That's what the people want to hear. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, people share YouTube videos of from Eurovision. Is like, look at that ridiculous thing that happened, right? Like, uh, look at the saxophone guy. Look at the craziness. Um, that it would have been a huge hit. And the fact that they they go home and they sing Yaya Ding Dong, but they never sang Yaya Ding Dong at Eurovision after setting it up so much, it's very strange. It's like it's a really weird and counterintuitive swerve that makes me feel like it had to have been a bigger deal at some point in some draft of the script, right? Like, and then they're like, no, yeah, I don't know. It's it's the movie really makes it seem like they might have written Yeah Yeah Dana or that that was their song. And I had to like Google an interview with like one of the producers who confirms that like it's supposed to be an Icelandic sort of folk song or like you know some sort of local ditty that everyone loves and not a song that that Fire Saga had written themselves. But it would it would have been more interesting if it's like it's a song that they wrote for like somebody's wedding at some point and now they have to sing it all the time and that's all that people want to hear but will ferrell wants to write a different kind of music because he feels like he should be right he feels like that's that's what abba would do or i mean it's, it's weird that that abba is sort of like the instigating dream that will ferrell has because abba is like not a typical eurovision act and there's a huge disconnect between at the beginning when we see the young Will Ferrell being like, I'm going to be just like Abbott, I'm going to perform on Eurovision. And then when it cuts to adult Will Ferrell, he's singing something that's super un-ABBA, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, he doesn't have not, any Swedish energy. He's not trying to be yeah. at all, yeah. right? Right, and right, it's, right. It's weird. Did you say, Pete, he doesn't have any of that big sweet energy? 
Yeah, he doesn't have that Swedish energy, that big Swedish energy. He doesn't he doesn't come off as as a sort of uh, and keep in mind, when we're talking Swedish pop music, we're talking about like Britney Spears, you know, Backstreet Boys in sync. You know, I mean, it's it's these are all the same small group of people in Sweden making all of these different songs. And it's also been the dominant aesthetic of Eurovision for much of the past 25 years. And it isn't really in this movie, which is strange also. Because, yeah. Yeah, their their, their main entry, actual entry into this this competition, Double Trouble, like, is absolutely that style, right? Right, right, right. agree to that. Yeah, which, by the way, is not a bad song. It's pretty freaking catchy. It's it's good. It's absolutely serviceable, real, would be an absolutely serviceable, real Eurovision song. um, And you should go listen to it. So I don't but within the world of the movie, aren't we supposed to perceive Fire Saga and their song Double Trouble as being ridiculous and clearly not worthy of of uh, I don't it's, it's no, I don't think so. Comedy. Their stage yeah. act is supposed to be ridiculous, um, which uh, is they just lifted something that was actually done in a previous Eurovision competition. Right. The, the yeah, hamster wheel thing was real. Yes. Yeah. Um, so just a side note on this, and, and, and maybe we should actually say some more positive things about this as we wrap this up, right? Is that, um, you know, what we're talking about here is that the movie does not have a real coherent statement about um, the aesthetic of Eurovision or, or the creative process that brings Eurovision acts to life. Uh, everything is very haphazard in this movie, right? Like um, Will Ferrell Springs um, costume and song changes on uh, Rachel McAdams kind of at the last minute. But what the reality is that, um, huge teams of very dedicated professionals work very hard on these things over months, if not years, um, from initial concept to the very elaborate song and dance and visual performance that you actually see on Eurovision. And 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 not seeing that represented in this movie, uh, it seems like a big missed opportunity. I mean, you know, as we've been talking about, like they, I guess they were going for something else different, right? Sing from your heart. Um, as opposed to seeing from a, a committee of 12 people who, um, you know, kind of have a set way of doing this. That's not not, not quite what, what they're going for here. Um, all that said, um, I think down to a song, like every fake Eurovision number that they put out uh, in this, tried out in this movie, I think like, uh, you know, all of them were very catchy and like nailed a certain aspect of the Eurovision experience um, in a way that like, sure, you know, like, uh, you know, was trying to quickly encapsulate different aspects of Eurovision to, to maybe it's like your American audience, right? Now, in particular, I'll call out the spot on Lordy parody. Um, that is to say, like the band, the heavy metal band with the monster masks. Um, like that, uh, that I, I greatly appreciated that being there. So, like, they, I can see what they're going for uh, with the music pieces of it. So, uh, a lot of it was actually pretty successful, just not like uh, adding up more than the sum of the parts. I don't know. What did you guys think about the music? Yeah, each one, each one in itself was was pretty good. Like I like the, I mean, I I thought I actually thought for a second, wait, is this actually Lordy, <laughs> right? Yeah. But the I thought uh, so too, yeah. But um, but then I that particular song sort of pooped the bed at the point where it became not a where it stopped rocking and became a kind of like power pop song, uh, sort of in the middle of it. Like there's there's a point where it goes into auto tuned harmonies and the like raw you know sort of uh of that like you know really metal sort of uh lordy sound is is sacrificed for something that's a little more processed and and um 
a little more friendly. Like, yeah, I mean, I thought that uh, I agree with the, that. Like some of the some of the best parts in in terms of like most energetic, most visually interesting, like uh, pe- people, uh, you know, containing people that I was intrigued by and wanted to see more about. Like I wanted to watch more on screen of was that montage in in the middle with a bunch of non original songs, right? Like so it it sort of was giving lie to the whole concept behind the Eurovision Song Contest, which is that like you you need to bring um original songs and that there there is this this weird, you know, utopian you know, sort of I mean, and they they spend a lot of money on these, but like it's not it's it's almost like a PBS thing, right? It's almost like positioned as a public good a little bit. The 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 fact that we you know we put this on, I guess you know, I guess we get tourist dollars, the host country, I mean, gets tourist dollars by putting it on, but uh, you know, I'm sure it's always a, a bigger expenditure than you you sell in like, you know, Eurovision pendants or glow sticks or whatever your your whatever merch you're selling to people. Um the the you know country flags the country pennants that they wave in the uh in the air um but that like uh you know it's it's it, it is in fact the market tested the sort of highly uh you know published and copyrighted uh you know super super popular million selling songs that make the best uh uh you know that make the best and most compelling and and kind of non ridiculous Right, the the only kind of song that is not being held up, well, except for the last one, the last sort of ballad, uh, that is not being sort of held up for mockery, um, a little bit, uh, is is the the montage of um, believe and and whatever all the other songs that that uh, ray of light by Madonna. Oh yeah, and which which was a little bit like wow, that's a yeah. deep pull. I was in high school when that record came out, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and hot take, Ray of Light is not even the best song on Ray of Light. Uh, the um, what is I, I was scalded what? by the heat of that take, Matt. That is the hottest. That hot that take burned the skin off my you, bones. That let me tell you, <laughs> you are a veritable volcano, man. With the heat of that <laughs> let, take. Let, me, uh, let me uh, solve that uh, you know, that scalded skin, Pete, and tell you that the best, the best song on Ray of Light is Frozen. Oh, oh. yeah, put that, put that on your burn. That feels uh, like a Eurovision song, right? That could be the Icelandic entry. But that, like the the best songs are are uh, the American songs, you know. And that's uh, that's why I say this film hates Europe and Europeans, uh, you know. And the the not not even the I don't know. It's like it's like well, it's like you 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 you. It's it's like in the prep and you know off mic we were saying that like someone wanted this movie to be best in show and I do feel like you you brought a Will Ferrell to a Christopher Guest fight, you know, and that's uh, the the fact that like you know what what like what does Will Ferrell do? I think it's um. I, I think like it can all be uh, explained by the cowbell sketch. 
<laughs> the strength of Will Ferrell, right? Like he commits so intensely to these ridiculous premises. Whether you know whether it's the the his famous SNL ones, the cow the cowbell sketch, or like the Lava sketch, or the the cheerleaders, or um. You know, Ron Burgundy. Or, yeah, yeah, Ron Burgundy. Exactly. Yeah. Anchorman. Yeah, exactly. And and Pete gave me one, one of the best uh, descriptions of a lot of Will Ferrell movies, which is that like it's farce, but it's it's trying to sell itself as satire. And it's not, you know, um, and I don't know, to, to me. Yeah. Uh, sorry. We said we were going to say nice things, uh, nice things about it. Now. Well, no, I think I think you're you're you're. You're saying the right thing. So it seems like a Will Ferrell movie about Eurovision should be natural because Eurovision has the level of commitment that is characteristic of Will Ferrell's comic characters. Right. So like you would think that Will Ferrell doing Eurovision would be great. Right. Um, but but what I, happens I, what yeah. happens in Eurovision? Sorry, I just I want to take the ball from you yeah. and run with it because I think you're oh. on something. What happens in actual Eurovision? What makes the Eurovision Song Contest fantastic is that the commitment to the ridiculousness is ennobling and glorious. Right. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. And in a Will Ferrell movie, the commitment to the ridiculousness is undercutting. It's it's like bouffant clown. It's you know, it's revealing human uh you know, foibles and human fallibility and, and the kind of like the the ridiculousness of of all of us. Though I think Pete, it was you who said, like, I'm not sure we needed a movie uh to prove to us that sexist jerks are sexist jerks, but we have Anchorman, so <laughs> there it is. Which I enjoy, yeah. <laughs> That's I, I would have loved to thinking about it, I would love to have seen this movie with Will Farrell as the villain. Right. As this as the sort of favorite Swedish Maybe like the the sort of Swedish producer, right, or like a performer from another country who is being very scathing and negative, uh, some sort of like a Mugatu esque Will Ferrell, rather than a uh, uh, Ricky Bobby esque kind of face. I want to see heel Will Ferrell do Eurovision and really yeah, camp like, it up, like as the Russian guy. Although I mean, yeah, honestly, yeah. Dan Stevens kills it, absolutely he kills it. Kill it, kills it so much. I mean, go into that, Matt. That deserves a little unpacking. I honestly, like, I don't think I'd ever really seen him in anything other than Downton. And it was sort of like I knew I'd seen him on the, the, the list of people in this movie. And even so, it was like maybe three or four minutes after he came on screen that I'm like, wait a second, that's Dan Stevens. Because my brain, my brain could not process the fact that uh, he is, he is uh, fabulous, uh, very sexy. Um, and I, you, you know what the right word for this is? And I think it's, it's key to your vision and, and any sort of take on your vision is that camp that he has a, a truly campy performance in the best sense of the word. Um, and it's interesting that he is sort of revealed at the end there. I think there's a lot of uncertainty for most of the movie about his true intentions and whether he's a sort of villainous character. Um, I think they, it almost feels like there's an earlier version of the script in which he actually is because they go out of their way at some point to say that the way that the Icelandic uh, act passes the semifinals, despite sort of everyone assuming that it wasn't going to get a single vote, is these sort of Eastern Bloc countries all come out and vote very heavily for it. Which sort of suggests to me it's like, oh, it's like a setup. It's like the Russian guy is trying to get them into the finals as like, you know, some sort of plan to split the vote and to like, you know, win the whole thing. Um, 
And it's just, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen the cutting edge in a long time, but it does, it seems like the, the, the sort of Icelandic singers are being like seduced by their sort of rivals in the competition and it's sort of all's fair in love and war sort of uh, play. And then it turns out, no, the, uh, Dan Stevens is actually a super nice guy. Um, was too uh, sincere about everything he said about Sigrid. Um, is it in fact uh, a secretly gay? It cannot be openly gay because uh, there are no gay people in Russia. He actually like sort of quotes, uh, you know, something that uh, I don't know. If Putin said that, but like it, it was like an official sort of state line. Um, you know, what is it, four or five years ago? Where like you know we don't have gay people in Russia. <laughs> um, and so it's interesting because you sort of expect, I mean, we sort of expected the second that this movie was announced that the Russian was going to be the villain. Um, and instead they make the, the Russian into, I wouldn't say the tragic hero, but the sort of like, you know, the, the sort of like the tragic, sexy uh, Adonis. Um, but like cer- certainly like he, he, he did that to be like every bit the pussycat that he seems at first and and not a sort of like duplicitous figure. Uh, but yeah, no, he he is he is great. Yeah, I, yeah. I, don't have, I don't I have any better adjectives for it, but I was thoroughly amused every time he was on. the screen. I felt like he was bringing sort of more energy to his performance than like anybody else. I'm shocked that you haven't haven't heard of Dan Stevens, star of Legion, uh, who left Downton Abbey in order to pursue fame and fortune this? as a as a film star, you know, because uh, she what was like the movie that that was supposed to be his big breakthrough role or is this it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not sure him and uh, Jessica Brown Finley. I'm not uh, not exactly sure. You all should have stayed. You didn't know a good thing when you had it. Huh? Should have should have stayed well, down in in, in doubt now. To be, with he the, has the, made a lot of movies. <laughs> that he has made a lot of movies. I'm not going to say that. Dark the old dartboard there. Yeah. He's, like, he's like the Taylor Kitsch of uh, of Britain. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Was it Vamps where he played Joey? Uh, <laughs> I mean, the guest is a bit of a cult classic where he's an evil Afghanistan veteran. I think he's like an evil, an evil veteran who was like a house guest. Um, but yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right. He didn't, uh, I mean, Legion is really what he, what he jumped to. So, I mean, that's the, that's the largest scale thing that I'm aware of anyway, though. I do get that. I he, am, uh, he was. He played the Beast in the live-action Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. He was the Beast in Beauty and yeah. the Beast. That's oh, right. as, as interesting side note, by the way. He sang in that, in, in Beauty and the Beast, but uh, did not get to use his vocal, uh, his singing voice yeah. in, in in this movie. Well, this and he showed specific. more chest hair in this movie than he did in the Beauty and the Beast movie. Oh, oh, the irony. The irony. <laughs> or at least more groomed chest hair. <laughs> he was quite manscaped in this movie, which, attention to detail, was pretty hilarious. So, uh but yeah, everybody in this movie should have had that level of energy, right? I mean, not probably impossible, right? You probably would have broken the camera. But uh, but if, if everybody had brought that kind of energy, you would have made a movie that was worth traveling to Croatia for uh, to go on a gay Fantasia, right? Which is sort of the whole point of holding the Eurovision Song Contest, right? It's like going going to like the going to Prague and just like going wild uh, with your with your bros. I guess it's not bros. Um, but something along those lines. That's like the point, right? With your, with your wolf pack, a lot of a lot of animal themed songs in this. Yes. Uh, in this yes. film, you know. 
Um, All right. Well, as as we wrap it up, I think something Pete said is is a good note to go out on, which like even if it's perhaps not the the greatest film uh, and, you know, regrettably not the the greatest film about a cultural institution we get a lot of enjoyment out of. That is to say the Eurovision Song Contest really is nice to watch a new movie (laughs) (laughs) to see to see something that is in some sense in uh, in current release. You know, I'm not promising that next week is the king of Staten Island. Uh, Probably isn't. It's probably Hamilton. But, uh, you know, the 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 idea that there are still there is still entertainment uh, in the pipeline and it it can come out gives us, uh, you know, a good feeling as we uh, as we kind of progress through this summer with whatever it will hold. Um, well, cool. Thanks very much for listening to the Overthinking Podcast. Thanks uh, to uh, Pete and Mark for podcasting with me as always. And thanks to the world's greatest expert on the Eurovision Song Contest, Matthew Belarus Belinky. Uh, thanks very much for. I do love Belarus. <laughs> it is always on our minds. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, 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 doesn't.